Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Welcome to Exchange Trade Fridays, a weekly podcast from ETF.com where we wrap up the markets and uh, in ETFs in general. Uh, I am Dan Micah. I am a reporter with ETF.com. And today I have my colleagues, Sibby Roy. Hey, everyone. And Heather Bell. Hi, everybody. So uh, I think the big news, of course, is going to be uh, the Fed. They uh, they finally dropped uh, the 50 basis point hike that they had been uh, signaling for a very, very long time. Um, and it comes along with uh, quite a bit of, of uh, roll-offs with their treasuries and their mortgage-backed securities off of their balance sheet, uh, starting uh, in the terms of, of Hemingway, uh, gradually, then suddenly. Um, in terms of how they plan to reduce the trillions of dollars that they have put on their balance sheet to uh, buffer the economy during uh, during the COVID shutdowns. Uh, Sumit, doesn't seem like uh, it, it just immediately the, the market seemed to be pretty okay with it on, on, uh, on decision day. And then uh, Thursday, they were very much not. Yeah, Dan, the way I characterize the Fed meeting is it didn't contain many surprises, right? But the reaction to it was kind of a surprise. So the Fed hiked 50 basis points. Everyone expected that. And for about half an hour, the market didn't do a thing at all. It was just around the unchanged mark. Then you had Powell make this comment about how they probably wouldn't hike by 75 basis points at any single meeting going forward. And after that, the market just took off. It was up 3% in one hour or something like that. That was the biggest increase or rally uh, on the day of a Fed decision in, in a couple of decades. So crazy, crazy move there. But of course, that wasn't the end of the story. The next day, the market reversed all of those gains and more. It was down three and a half percent or something like that. Then today it went even lower. Um, but I'm looking at it now and it's recovered all the losses for today. Uh, so it's been wild out there. And for growth stocks, which we talk about a lot, it's been even more wild. ARKK, of course, has been swinging around like a yo-yo every day, 5 6%. But it's not just that. The triple Qs, VGT, those mega cap focused ETFs, with, which have giants like Apple and Microsoft, they're also fluctuating 6 7% in a day. These are not normal moves. And um, the action we've seen, you know, essentially on Wednesday, Thursday, and today, Friday, is investors are panicking, essentially, and they're capitulating. If you look at a lot of these ETFs, a lot of these stocks, people are puking their shares up, essentially. It's gotten to the point where we, we could assume that there's a lot of forced selling going on out there by hedge funds and other people, which is exacerbating the volatility. So that's what's been going on since the Fed meeting. But if we zoom out for a second, uh, yeah, there, there's a lot of volatility, but nothing has really changed, right? 75 basis points, maybe it's off the table, but the Fed is still headed where it's headed, even if it takes another one or two months to get there. The consensus is essentially that we're going to see rates at 2.75% to 3% by the end of the year. 
The uncertainty is whether you get another couple of rate hikes after that in 2023, and that's the end of it, or whether inflation stays stubbornly high and the Fed has to take rates closer to 4% or even higher than that. I think 3% is priced in. The 10-year Treasury yield is around 3.1% right now. And the S&P 500, even with all the volatility we've seen, isn't breaking down all that much. Today's jobs report was strong. The economy has been able to absorb 3% pretty well so far. So the S&P has been holding around 13 to 15% down from its highs for a while now. But if investors start to think 4% interest rates are a possibility, then we're going to likely see it down 20% or more, and we're going to be talking about a bear market. Otherwise, I think we could see some stabilization at some point if people feel confident the Fed is going to handle on inflation uh, and it's starting to peak. So the next thing to watch is the CPI print for April. That comes out next Wednesday. Everyone's going to be keeping an eye on that. But what do you guys think? Do you think inflation has peaked? Um, I, I, I read recently, I can't remember from who, that they said that it had peaked at around 8% or whatever it was at, it's been at. Um, I Honestly, I don't know. It seems like, like I didn't expect the market to do what it did yesterday. Um, so... I don't know really what to anticipate at this point. It seems like it should have peaked, in my opinion, but all bets are off the table, really. Um, we've still got the same supply chain issues going on. We've still got the Russia-Ukraine conflict going on, um, really disrupting things in Europe. I, I don't know. I would not be surprised if it continued to rise. So I, I guess where... The, uh, where part of this is, is going to be coming from is is definitely where the bond market thinks inflation is going and where they think the Fed is going. And, you know, it, Chair Powell said specifically 75 basis points is not being actively considered by the committee. But if you look at futures pricing and specifically the CME Group FedWatch tool, uh, the markets are pricing in a 78 percent chance of a 75 basis point hike for, for June. Um, before dropping off, I, I think the, the majority uh, um, going forward through July and September are saying are, are thinking 50 basis points as well and until you get up to that two, two and a half percent target range. So I think that is that, that's probably a big driver of it um, that, you know, people are not as particularly as, uh, you know, especially in the bond market, are not thinking that the Fed really is going to, you know, if, if their main target is to tamp down inflation as much as possible, I think the bond market is saying they have to go 75 basis point hike, um, even though it, it would um, not it would not fit in with the narrative that they've been pushing for the past couple of months. Um, and, and I also think that there's going to be uh, a bit of, of consideration about, you know, how close does that get us to another quarter of, of down growth. I know that the GDP numbers last week uh, were were weak for technical reasons, but there is that you know there is that specter of just you know economic growth is is just not nearly as strong um, at those big numbers when you're trying to calculate risk in an economy that inherently is extremely risky. When we have Russia Ukraine, when we have supply chain issues, and COVID is still very much an issue as as seen by. All of the this uh, all the closures that are happening in China with its zero COVID policy, um, 
So I think just the vibes right now is just like no one really knows anything. And it's very concerning, especially when we've had what the last decade or so where if you know, if you just invest in QQQ or the S&P 500, you were going to get a very solid return. Now you're that's just not guaranteed anymore. They think it's been a while since we've experienced the market where people have to say, you know, what am I, what is going to be the, the, the loss potential here versus just buying, buying the cheap S and P 500 fund and just letting it grow. Right. Right. And yeah, I mean, you make a good point and no one really knows anything, right? No one knows whether inflation has peaked and even if it has peaked, right. Are we going to end up stabilizing at, four percent inflation that wouldn't be good right that's way above the fed's target still of two percent so there's just so much uncertainty out there and i think that's a big reason we're seeing so much volatility out there and and again it kind of it's very interesting to see all of this uncertainty on the same day that you know I think at 428,000 was the April jobs number. That beat consensus consensus estimates. We were expecting for 400,000 was the median was the median estimate. Um, the real wages uh, continue to decline, um, and we're kind of reaching that area as well. So it's kind of this this difficult positioning between trying to figure out you know how much is is the Fed going to be looking at real economic conditions and looking at that as their their guidepost versus what they've been telling people and what the markets are saying. Um, and, and I think the the big clue there was that was when Jay Powell came out to do his press conference, normally the Fed chair will immediately just start reading the FOMC statement, but he said that he wanted to directly address the American people. I cannot recall a time. I, I can't remember the last time a Fed chair has ever said that has ever directly appealed to the American people as if, he or she were the president. Um, I, I think that is a, a precedent-breaking um, move, um, at, at least in, in just what, like how how the the Fed is supposed to be this, this non-political and supposed to just be kind of you know be paying attention to it, but not being directly linked to the pulse of of, of Americans. But with inflation this high, I, I think Powell had to go out there and just really make the pitch and say we really are paying attention. Um, you know, immediate. You know, so immediately to the chagrin, then the non-chagrin on Wednesday of the market, and then to the very much the chagrin of the market on Thursday. Right, and it really speaks to the idea that that Fed put is gone. Right, the market can't count on the Fed anymore to kind of support it. Its number one focus is bringing inflation down, and the market just has to deal with that um, until that happens. Right. Yeah. Heather, give me a give me a vibe check. What's just your vibe check right now around this this whole conversation? Um <laughs> I'm my my vibe right now is kind of pretty grim. Um I know uh that we've kind of been talking about how recession is probably something that's going to happen next year. Um I I just I see so many uncertainties in the market right now and in like geopolitics and stuff like that. I, I feel like we are in for a rocky time. That's really where I'm at. I'm sorry I can't be more cheerful about it. I, I don't think anyone needs us to be cheerful. Um, <laughs> you know, I think it's just real talk. Um, 
So let's pivot from from the uh, the, the least major events and, and trying to look ahead in, into a very 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 foggy crystal ball. Um, let's just talk about what uh, we've been seeing this week and what's been important this week. Um, Heather, you've been writing about inflation. You've been writing about the slowdown in, in new launches. Uh, just give us your, your recap of, of the week and what you've been paying attention to. Well, I mean, I, I published that article that um, covered uh, Horizon Kinetics Fund INFL and, you know, kind of paired it with uh, Fidelity's uh, Inflation Equity ETF, FCPI. And the funny thing about those funds is they're so different from each other. Um, INFL is actively managed. It takes a global perspective. Um, and FCPI is focused on the U.S. market, and it's an index fund, and they're both doing really well, um, outperforming their uh, kind of like benchmark funds. Um, I believe uh, INFL is outperforming ACWI, uh, A-C-W-I, which is an all like a total global market fund. And then um, FCPI is really outperforming VTI, the Vanguard total market fund. Um, so I they seem to be doing their job in an inflationary environment very well. Um, I I was very impressed by that. There's, they're just straight equity funds. There's no like, you know, uh, messing around with options or futures or anything like that. There's no leverage to them. They're, they're just straight equity funds. Um, and it's just very interesting how they've been taking different angles on this and offering outperformance in, in their own different ways. Um, and then of course I did also write about launches and, um, launches were going gangbusters for the first two months of the year. And then Russia invaded um, Ukraine and everything came to a screeching halt for a week. There was one launch the week after the invasion and then they've picked up um, and we're still really outstripping um, last year. But, you know, it's not like things are gaining momentum. And of course, I don't necessarily expect them to when um, just globally speaking, and in the US in particular, there is a lot of economic uncertainty. And that is not when people tend to want to launch ETFs. Um, I guess that's what I've been seeing going on. We did see that uh, two times leveraged ARKA ETF launch recently, right, Heather? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting fund. That's um, probably been getting kill, killed lately, right? I, well, I haven't. It, it just launched, so I don't know um, what it like. I haven't really followed its performance yet, but yeah, I don't think the last couple of days were nice to it. Probably. Um. <laughs> yeah, I, I wrote up a piece about Sark S A R K, which is the inverse Arc ETF, and. I talked about how that ETF almost had perfect time. Um, you know, it launched back in November of last year. Right? And at that time, those growth stocks were doing phenomenally. Kathy Wood was pretty much a rock star. I mean, she still is kind of a celebrity in the ETF business, but it could basically do no wrong at that time. So when SARS launched, it actually wasn't a show. Thing, right. I mean, ARKK was going gangbusters, but 
Matthew Tuttle, who launched that ETF, he talked to a lot of investors at that time, and they were telling him how they were concerned about high valuations in those stocks at that time. So he essentially said, yeah, this is a great ETF if you want to bet against those stocks or if you own those stocks and you want to hedge that exposure. So it worked out brilliantly. I mean, it doubled since that launch in November, the price of the ETF. And the assets under management have just exploded from 400 to 400 million today, essentially. And so this piece I wrote, I basically talked about that. Um, and then I talked about, you know, how inverse ETFs, they're interesting, right? They, they can gather a lot of assets, but they have a hard time maintaining assets because markets do tend to go up over time. I know this year it's hard to believe, but they tend to go up over time. And then two, inverse ETFs rebalance every day, right? And um, due to that fact, they lose money generally even when their underlying asset is you know it's trading flat so you pull up a chart of any inverse etf and you're usually going to see massive declines 80 90 95 percent if you look at a five ten year uh, time horizon so that's kind of the the downside of these inverse etfs on the other hand you know it's not necessarily the case that all inverse etfs are going to lose all their assets there are some that are successful if you look at something like sh or sqqq they short the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ 100. And these have become essentially go-to ETFs for traders and go-to ETFs for investors who want to hedge. And so I, what I say is SARK has to become essentially that. It has to become a go-to instrument for traders, for hedgers. And if it does that, then it can get a steady stream of inflows a steady stream of new assets, and that's going to make up for all of the, you know, the lost assets because inverse ETFs tend to trend down over, you know, multi-year time horizons. But a lot of that hedges on, you know, Kathy Wood and ARC remaining popular and remaining sort of the benchmark for those disruptive tech companies. So I think the fate of SARK, ironically, even though it is, you know, uh, taking a bet against ARKK, its fate ultimately hinges on the popularity of ARKK and Kathy Wood. If that uh, remains the benchmark for disruptive tech, then I think SARK remains kind of the benchmark to um, bet against disruptive tech. But but I don't know. What do you guys think? Do you think ARK is going to continue to be that uh, benchmark regardless of you know what's going on right now? I I don't know. And I feel like I've been saying that a lot in this particular episode. Um, but I what I think is really cool about the ETF market, though, is that we've got ARKK and then we've got these two products, SARC and TARC, that allow you to express very different opinions on what you think of, you know, Kathy Wood's thesis. Um, and... I think now there's, you know, there's there's ways for people to double down on those opinions. I mean, it seems very risky to me um, either way, like whatever side you're betting on. Um, I mean, I don't think I feel like Kathy Wood's thesis will bear out over the long term. It's all about innovation. 
but I'm not entirely convinced she's making the best calls about what um, companies are going to win the innovation game. Um, you know, everyone likes to cite Teladoc. Uh, it is one of many companies in that space, and I don't, I don't know what uh, its advantage would be over its competitors. Um, yeah. So can, yeah. Fair point, Heather. If, if, even if that thesis plays out, right, disruptive tech and all of that, next five years they do extremely well. If Kathy Wood lags all these other disruptive tech ETFs that come out, maybe ARKK will fall out of favor and it won't be, you know, that benchmark for that category. Well, I think just looking at the flows, it's really hard to argue that I think it's going to be difficult to argue that that anyone could come and make an index uh, that could compete against ARKK in, in terms of in terms of its thesis, or just knock Kathy Wood off of her her pedestal as kind of the lead person in the market advocating for this. I mean, ARKK year to date has brought in 1.27 billion dollars worth of flows. It gained 366 million dollars yesterday. As we saw the as we saw the Nasdaq drop, what almost five percent, and uh, you know we were we were talking about uh, the the two times innovation ETF. It's got almost six million dollars in it right now after three days worth of trading, and it gained eight hundred fifty six thousand, which in, in in yesterday, which you know it, it's a very backwards bet in, in a day where where tech got absolutely slaughtered. But I think it's really difficult. At this point, to see you know if if Kathy Wood continues to underperform and ARKK continues to underperform, who comes and and just are and makes the case for you know innovation, which at its core right now are you know companies that are going to be worth that right now are not worth a lot, but will be a lot worth a whole lot later. I don't know who, especially in this macro environment, would be able to better articulate that and and kathy wood has been i i mean her popularity has been in part because she had an amazing 2020 but also because she's very good at articulating this and you know there's not a lot of market market participants that are so effective at telling their story and telling their narrative in a way that retail investors in particular look to and say i i can buy that i can buy that theme versus just you know, someone making an argument for, I guess, like a metaverse thematic and, and dropping all the all this jargon. Right, right. And, you know, aside from the story aspect that you hit on, Dan, there is the whole the whole branding around their product and also the liquidity. Right. And you put those two together and it's something similar to QQQ. QQQ is an imperfect ETF that tracks an imperfect index. Right. It's it's lagged. Um, a more tech-focused fo- ETF like VGT, yet QQQ is one of the biggest ETFs on the market, one of the most liquid, and it remains the case no matter what the performance is. All right. Well, we are going to leave the conversation there. Thank you very much for listening to Exchange Trade Fridays from ETF.com. If you've missed any part of this conversation, just go to your favorite podcast app and search for Exchange Trade Fridays. We'll have this episode uh, up rather soon. Uh, but for myself, Dan Micah, and my colleagues, Samit Roy and Heather Bell, uh, we thank you very much for listening. And we- 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.